Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. Today's episode is a really special one because we're catching up with a very long-term Cub member, someone who is a great friend of mine and someone that I have a lot of trust and respect for. Not that I don't trust and respect all the other incredible guests we have, but Mr. Paul Miller is who we're catching up with today. He's the founding partner of corporate boutique legal firm Deutsch Miller. They specialize in M&A law and um, they're based in Sydney in Martin Place. They've got stunning offices. I know that because uh, Cub uses uh, Deutsch Miller for our legal advice. So I can tell you firsthand, Paul is a brain and he's about to share some incredible knowledge on all things from M&A, the M&A market at the moment during COVID uh, through to uh, employee share schemes and and plans. Paul is such a brilliant guy. I've I've got so much respect for him. He's such a a mentor to me in, in, in these topics that we're about to talk about. So enjoy the show. And we're live. I'm sitting here today with my very good friend and long-term Cub member, Mr. Paul Miller. How are you today, sir? I'm very well. Delighted to be here. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm delighted that this is the first podcast ever that I'm having a drink of. Cheers. Cheers. We're sipping, uh, for those of you who are listening, not watching, we're sipping um, Paul's favourite, favourite drink, the Negroni. And they are beautiful. They are. They are. But we're here today to learn from your infinite knowledge. Uh, For those of you who uh, have not heard of Paul or do not know Paul, Paul is a corporate lawyer, so you're specialising in M&A law, is that correct? That's correct. Uh, He's the founding partner of um, a Sydney-based legal boutique legal firm called Deutsch Miller. They're, They're located in... Martin Place. I have been to their offices many a times because I myself and Cub have uh, used uh, Deutsch Miller for our legal work, particularly uh, when we're dealing with um, with Mark Boris, uh, acquiring part of our company. And and um, I can say, as a friend and and, and as a client, um, Deutsch Miller has been absolutely incredible for us. So thank you so much, Paul. Um, mate, why don't you? Like I was talking about before the podcast. I was like, I actually don't know how Paul got to where he is today. Do you want to just maybe give us a bit of a rundown on your story and where you've come from and what's happened? Of course. Well, thank you for the introduction. Um, Okay, a bit about me. Um, So originally, as you may tell from the accent, I come from London. So I was a corporate partner in a mid-sized London firm. So it's about 70 partners when I left for Australia and I became a partner quite early, which was about four and a half years qualified. Which is quite fast. Which is quite fast. Um, and um, I think I had the learner plates on when I did that. But I did a mix of M&A work in, in generally in the mid-market. I did a load of floats on the junior market. But what about, what, what about before that? Did you obviously studied law. Was your family in law? Was your, what was your background? Well, good question, actually. A lot of my family is in law. And if you ever asked me what I was going to do when I was growing up, mm-hmm. I'd say, I don't know what I want to do, but I can tell you the one thing I'm not going to do, <laughs> and that's going to be in law. <laughs> So, that, so that's a true story. So I, I was always quite like maths. So I took uh, a general economics and accounting degree at, univer- at university and a law course, a contract law course was part of 
that course to get the initial accounting exemptions. And I didn't like the accounting um, courses, but I loved I loved the law course. So, you, so law thought, is just in the blood. So I thought I'm not going to cut off my nose to spite my face. <laughs> it's in my blood. So I, I can I, definitely I, relate to that. So I went back on everything I said and um, and decided to change course and go for, and, and become a lawyer. And so you joined uh, this legal firm in London, became a partner, and I did became a partner, and then um, was a partner for five years in London before I moved to Australia. I married an Australian girl who gently pulled me over here. You know what's so uh, funny? So many members we have on the podcast. Followed girls to Australia and ended up uh, in my apartment doing the podcast. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, no, there's quite a few. Yeah, quite, quite a few. So yeah, so um, in London, I had a re- had a lot of natural contacts as I grew up there. Um, did a lot of commercial contracts, M and A listings, um, and then came here and started again. And one thing that's interesting about you is, of course, you're you're an incredible lawyer, but you're also a business owner and entrepreneur because. Uh, you're the founding partner of uh, of Deutsche Miller, of a legal firm. How did you did you come to Australia and start it, or or did you join another firm first? Um, I I went to another firm first called Atanaskovic Hartnell. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Atanaskovic was Rupert Murdoch's lawyer for thirty odd years, mm-hmm. and Tony Hartnell was the inaugural ASIC chairman. So they were very senior partners at Allen's, which is one of the top few law firms here, mm-hmm. and they moved over and set up their own boutique firm in um, the early 90s. So I went there for two and a half years, um, got offered partnership there, and then a few of us decided that our destiny um, laid elsewhere and together. So we actually set it up coming out of the last GFC. Wow. So so coming out of the last GFC, you got with the other some couple of the other partners. You said, guys, should we do our own thing? And you did that. Did the original, original guys get pissed off of you? Look, they weren't completely happy, but they did the same thing 20-odd years yeah. earlier. So uh, uh, It's almost that passing of the torch, you know. The, well, I've been told as well that many of the, you know, the best people you'll ever have, the greatest people um, will, will, um, will leave you because, you know, they're, they're, they're doing their own thing. They have to do their own thing. It's exactly what you did. And I guess what gave you the courage to do it? Did you know that was what I wanted to do? Or? It, it was... It was actually two other of the partners at the firm came to me first. At right at that time, to be honest, I wasn't even sure that Australia was going to be my home oh, wow. forever. But once we talked about it, I then had to make a commitment to Australia. And I've I think I've always been entrepreneurial as compared to the average lawyer. Mm-hmm. So setting up my own firm, stamping a culture on a law firm which doesn't always have um, the best culture in it, mm-hmm. something that's always interests me and, and it was an exciting thing to do. And what do you guys do to make the culture different or how is your culture different and how do you create that? I think it comes from, I think it comes from the top. I think it's how you behave. I think it's how you behave under pressure. Mm-hmm. I think do you point fingers if things go wrong or do you take responsibility as a team? As a leader, yeah, you're saying? As, as a leader. You know, if you speak down to any staff member, then other people within an organisation are going to see that that's okay to do. Mm-hmm. And if you keep your composure under pressure, and keep calm and responsible, then people take on those traits. 100%. Yeah, it, it just lead by example. I, I said to Alice from Cub the other day, I said when when things are bad, you know, sometimes just downplay them a bit. Oh, don't worry about it. It's normal. This is why it's happening. Let's, let's do this and, and resolve it. When things are good, you know, let's figure out how we can make them better. I it's think, about. You know, I think that's right. I think that's right. Sometimes as a leader, you're fine when things are bad. You've got to 
keep the jacket on going yeah. and keep going as things go things go in cycles. Yeah, and also if if, when, if the team sees you freaking out, they freak out. If it's a big issue and you're like, ah, don't worry about it, who gives a fuck, they don't care. If, and I think that, oh, don't who gives a fuck type of attitude, sorry for swearing a couple of times, but for, for that type of attitude is a good one because it allows the team to de-stress. And when they de-stress and you couple that with a plan, you know, this is what we're going to do to fix it, and that comes from you with confidence, I think that they're able to better do that. I couldn't agree more, but I think it's, again, you know, there are times to be serious and work hard. And there are times as a leader you need to be able to let your head down and have fun and have a bit of a giggle with, with you know, humanise, mm. humanise the the, um, the workplace. I mean, a lot of people I think are saying with Zoom and working from home, you're seeing the workplace humanise because people are seeing people, you know, with their dogs walking past and their kids running around yeah. and, and everything else. So I think it's important internally to humanise and just... As a leader. So, yeah, and just just be relaxed when it's a time to relax, but also, you know, when it's time, to, almost you can't be too friendly as a leader sometimes. No, you can't. You've got to have a bit of fear, I reckon. I always say that. You've got to have a bit of like, ooh, I don't want to piss him off because, or not even that, I don't want to disappoint, you know, because if there's no fire, you know, if you're not worried about stepping on the fire, it's a very touchy subject actually. <laughs> is it loyalty or is it fear? Do you want your staff members no. to be more disappointed to let you down or do you want no. to be even more scared? To, I don't to, think it's to, to let, to let you, you down. down. I don't think it's to let you down. I think it's to let the team down and what the team stands for. And if you stand for an A team, I'm on an A team, you don't want to let the other A's down. You don't want to come up with B. Yep. So therefore you don't want to let yourself down because you don't believe you're less than the others. The leader just embodies that A. That's an A+. Plus. Mm. I don't want to let him. I've seen him or her, he, he works so hard to make sure this happens and he's disappointed when he's when it doesn't happen. And, you know, it's kind of like it's not the leader. It's what the leader represents, yeah, I think which is right. the team. I think that's right. How do you describe yourself as a leader? I would say that – and I'll just, I'll just answer that question backwards. I think – there's two things that I struggle with. One is being a relaxed leader, being very collegiate, collaborative, but also wanting to have a very high standard. Mm. And some people, especially in my game, think you've got to be a bit of a tough cookie mm. and a bit of a nasty, you know, eight-take personality to get that top performance. Um, and I don't agree with that. But I think I think you can behave well as a leader. You can behave appropriately, treat yourself well. Um, have that collaborative, positive culture, but also you've got to have the conversations if someone's let themselves down or let the team down, as you said, to to say they've got to be at a certain standard. And why do you think the legal industry has adopted that more um, ruthless numbers-driven culture? It's a very good question. I think there are two reasons. I think one is it attracts very much of those high IQ very A-type personalities driven with not always a huge amount of EQ. Mm. And I think add to that with big organisations where you can't get that trust between partners because the organisations are so big. It's not not being critical to any individual. I say once you have a lot of partners, it's very difficult to know someone three falls below on the swing. You look at their figures and you say, well, why am I subsidising them 
when in fact they could be an incredible person adding a lot of value through whether it's referrals or, or culture or, you know, they're about to go supernova with what they're doing. So I think the numbers of an organisation is important, which is why I like the booting model. Yeah, it's all, it's almost if it gets too big, it's because the numbers are, uh, you can um, measure them. Yeah. You can't really measure culture unless the culture creates up higher numbers across the board. So it does. It, yeah, and then you need to be able to measure that. So then really a, a good leader should have a good EQ as well because they're creating a good culture which stimulates more more numbers. And, I mean, the legal industry is an amazing one. How is it's, – it's such a traditional industry. How has it adapted in COVID? What's your opinion on – what have you at your workplace, right? Because obviously you think of the big law firms. I've been to your your offices. Mm. They're stunning that you walk in, there's everyone there. You got the you sit down, I get my sample and greeno served to me, and it's a, a big deal. How have you guys done that? Have you shut the offices or what are you doing at the moment? Yeah, so we did um, pretty much shut the offices. So everyone was recommended to work from home, like most other businesses, mm-hmm. unless they really had to be in the office. And there are a couple of staff members that couldn't work from home. They were living in shared um apartments they didn't have a desk and mm-hmm. for confidentiality so they preferred to come in and our office is actually set up with pretty much most people with their own offices which is very different to the bigger law firms that are open plan and hot desking so but pretty much everyone's been working from home um and what are your thoughts on that? it's well it's been a really interesting experience for someone for over 20 years that every day has got up showered shaved well most of the time and put on their uniform and gone into work, there's been that routine. And I've always worked from home a bit, but I've always liked that separation where home is more of a sanctuary, a relaxing space. So it's been a very different routine. But I think what I've learned from that is you can work from home, you can function. I don't think you can function as effectively and collaboratively, certainly in the longer term, but it's shown people that they can do it. It is a good substitute, I would say. but it's not as good as a real thing about bouncing off your colleagues and being in the same office. Yeah, well, like we were talking about before, I think there's a lot of good, but there's more bad at working at home. You, you lose your you lose your connect with your team. You haven't got that team culture. You, you haven't got that sociability where you're talking to your barista and you're going to have lunch with them. You know, the boss might take you to lunch one day. You have, you're not in front of your clients all the time. It's, human beings are social creatures. They need the office. I don't care what anyone says. And, and, and like I, I, I may have said in one of the other episodes, I did my one-on-one. So about once a month I do a one-on-one meeting with all the team and ask them how they're going and whatnot. And they said uh, – many of them actually said they're more productive, which I don't doubt because, I mean, you know our clubhouses, we're saying hello to all the members yeah. all the time. We're all sitting around the place. And so it can be quite distractive, distracting and that's something I should work on. But – but so they, a lot of them said they're more productive, but they all said they weren't as happy. They're happier at the clubhouse. They're happier at the office. They love being with each other. And that's what separates a good team from a bad team. You need to love your team being there. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, I agree. Some differences. I think so for what we do is there is some solitary time working on documents, thinking about things, but then there's a lot of collaboration. Mm-hmm. And the way a law firm environment works, things are coming up. It's a client service industry. So a client calls and needs something urgently, the team reacts to that. And it's much harder to do that from home. 
So I think in certain jobs you're doing, it's more productive because you're not being distracted. But then I think junior lawyers aren't getting mentored. They're getting they're missing out on conversations. They're missing out on being called into meetings. Just come in and listen to this. This will be interesting for your development or jump on this. If you're not around, you, you it's more difficult to do that. And I think working from home means that definitely junior lawyers are losing learning. They're losing, you know, hearing what the partners are saying, what senior lawyers are saying. They're losing sitting with clients, seeing how that interaction works. And that's how I learned. You, you learn by osmosis. You, you sort of pick things up. I completely agree. And I've never heard of anyone say that point before. It's actually the juniors that are worse off working much. from home. The seniors already know their knowledge. They can probably work from home. And their homes are probably much bigger and they have offices in them. The juniors are the ones. We're, we're, we're ruining the future of the country by working from home. You oh, didn't say that. I said that. I said that. I said that. You didn't yeah. say that. But but I'm saying if you played that out ongoing, yes, you could argue that our future is going to develop much slower because they haven't got that those lessons. Well, it's a bit like your kids working from home. You don't learn. You don't learn in a remote environment as well kids, as you do on studying a, kids at school. Well, yes, yeah. yeah, you don't learn as much from that interaction. You lose absolutely. Junior junior lawyers or junior professionals, depending on their yeah professions, will not learn. Definitely won't learn as much. Aren't involved. That's a scary, scary because thought. because also you don't want to go into the partners or senior off, um, lawyers' office every two minutes and ask questions. So you wait for them to walk down the corridor, or can I just grab you, grab you for a second? You can't do that on Zoom because mm. you've got or on Teams. We use Teams. You can't. It's it's harder for them just to call up, even though you encourage it. It loses the dynamism. Mm. of the flow of an office, I think, as you were saying. How did you guys adapt to working from home in regards to um, in, uh, keeping up the communication and the community aspect of the team? Good question. So we, just within the corporate commercial team, we had a nine o'clock call every day that started sort of going over what work people had, or, but started before that with more of the social aspect, what people were you know, we're getting, getting on with making sure they got out of their pajamas mm. that morning and, and weren't sitting in their trackies and, and, and kept going. Yeah, don't forget you're at work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, it, it's true. And then we did, you know, we tried to do Friday night drinks and then we realised actually, and I think this is quite interesting to talk about, we had about 20 people on, on drinks and it was one of the most awkward things mm. I've ever seen. But when we were in the office, it flowed beautifully. You yeah. get three or four people over there that talk. And then people mix through over there and people completely mix around and get on with each other. But on Zoom, it's 20 people and it's like three or four people trying to get the conversation yeah. going and it's very awkward. So then we, I spoke to a few different people. So we got a few sort of quiz masters. So we, we got a couple of quizzes going on. And what our practice manager did for the first quiz before we got someone professional in, they, they got everyone to send something to her that no one in the office knows about them. So on the quiz, so... And everyone about, has to guess who about, it is. About who, so so yeah. for me it was I coached tennis on a club med in the Caribbean when I was nearer your age than my age. So <laughs> no one knew about that, kept that quiet. So we went up, who coached tennis club in the Caribbean? <laughs> no was one guessed you. <laughs> Maybe a few people. Did they? Who'd seen me play? Can course. you play? You're a good player. Not so bad. Oh, we have so to I get play. around. I get around. We have to I play. get around the court. Slower than I used to. Slower than. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm going to whoop your ass at tennis. Uh, we see about you, you heard the challenge was here first. Yeah, it's done. Cheese. Cheers. So, um, yeah, so we so we got some quizzes going. So we really try to keep the anything just, just to keep the communication, but it's not the same. No, no. And so you prefer 
you're excited to bring it back to the office. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, and we started to do that this week on a sort of voluntary basis, two to three days, mm. and more officially next week. And we're, what we're doing, we appreciate that people are more nervous about public transport. Mm. So we're actually subsidising the early bird parking in the domain car park. Mm. Oh, that's, um, that's a, good subs- uh, a good idea. Because that takes away what people are most nervous about because our office is very COVID safe and we've got all the policies. Um, I can see, you know, a whole Australia is very COVID safe. I think 100 people have died out of 24 million. I promise you the country is COVID safe. More people would have committed suicide in this time than 100 yeah. people. So yeah. you're more at risk of that than you are of COVID at the moment. So the whole country is very COVID safe. Yes, but I, look, I accept that. I accept those stats, but people are still have anxiety. I made that stat up, yeah. but I can almost guarantee that it's true. Yeah, I know I the think, numbers. I think are, it is true. I think, I think there are four times more. Is that this right? Period, I yeah. think. Yeah. Imagine the divorce rates, the depression, the like the domestic violence. Domestic violence is because people feel helpless and weak. You know, they they've lost the ability to to provide. We've we've destroyed the economy, and 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 there's two wars going on. There's the health mm. war, which we're winning, in, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Others could debate me on that, but I'd say we're winning. And there's an economic war. Definitely. Which which I believe we're being more hurt by. And it's people, it's the business owners who are really trying to fight that war. They're trying to innovate, to struggle, to accommodate. Um, they're trying to keep their teams safe and happy and secure and Paid. But, but also, in as you say, but paid, but in employment. Yeah, in employment. And it's a bit like help me help you. It's a bit like the Jerry Maguire thing. Yeah. We want you back at work to make sure that we can keep everyone's, keep the business going yeah. and keep everyone's job. We haven't let anyone go. We haven't dropped anyone's salary. We haven't made anyone take annual leave. We don't mm. want to. Mm. A lot of law firms have. Yeah. Um, and some businesses have to. So it's yeah. not even and that we, we feel bad about that. And we may need to. Yeah. This, I hope not. <laughs> but my point is the economy needs to come back. It just mm. has to. It, it, I'm such a big advocate for pushing it forwards now and just and just bringing the economy back. Yes, be safe. Yes, don't hug everyone uh, like you used to and, mm. and you know, wash your hands more and don't spit on at people while you're talking to them. You know, stand a bit further back. But let's get back to business. She needs to get done. I agree. Um, people need some M&A, okay. which it brings me to the next topic. What's How has this affected the whole uh, M&A, would you call it economy or market? Or? Yeah, well, the M&A market, buying and selling of companies and businesses, it's it's completely gone into hibernation. Buyers have just stopped and had a look around. Stopped and, investing. And, yeah, they stopped buying, they stopped investing. For the most part, not, not completely. And what they're doing is, well, what's actually happening to the earnings of these businesses? How... How confident am I that these businesses will be going next year? So, so you've still got a lot of bankers and corporate advisors shopping businesses around at similar values that they were pre-COVID, um, which, is ridiculous. which is which is ridiculous. Um, uh, and you've got buyers going, uh, we're just wait and see. Not quite yet, thank you very much. Mm. So there needs to be a meeting of expectations, which often happens during a crisis where sellers want to keep high prices and buyers want to pay low prices. Mm-hmm. And how do you meet that in the middle? Well, what will happen as things get back to normal? There will be um, less purchase price paid up front. There will be an increase in in earnouts. Um, less pur- less purchase price paid up front. So, for example, if I want to purchase 
uh, 10% of your business and you know, I believe it's worth 10 million. So my 10% is worth 1 million. I'm not going to pay you the 1 million now. I'm going to maybe pay you 200 grand and I'm going to pay you the remaining 800 grand based on some key metrics being achieved that, or? That's right. It's, it's less for investment, more, more of buying a company. If I want to buy your business, oh, okay. I want to buy your business and I'm saying, okay, you think it's worth, let's say $30 million. And I'm saying, well, might've been three months ago, but I'm not confident you're going to hit the same earnings. So I'll tell you what, I'll pay you 10 million up front. And if you meet certain profits, EBIT okay. or EBITDA, or as, I, uh, as I've just heard recently, there's a new type of uh, earnings reference called EBITDAC, which is earnings before interest, tax depreciation, amortization, and coronavirus. Wow. Because people are saying, okay, what are the normal earnings today taking out the last few months? Because the, the sellers want to say once COVID ends, this is what the business is going to look like. So this is what you should be paying. Mm. So on the earnout metrics, pe- people are going to have to work harder after they've sold to earn their purchase price because buyers aren't going to put so much up front. We're going to say, fine, if you earn what you think you're going to earn, then we're going to pay you more at the end of the day. And so if, if I were someone selling um, my business right now, what would you tell me in regards to what to expect in the market? I think you're going to have to be realistic with price and you're going to have to be realistic with how much you're going to get up front and you're going to have to be pretty confident about your business model that it's robust, that you're going to be able to meet the next couple of years' earnings sort of thresholds or agreed points so you're going to make the purchase price that you think or wait. So it's much harder for the, for the seller. What about for the buyer? If I was buying your business right now, what would you say to me? Well, same in, in the reverse, that you're nervous about um, you're nervous about the business, so you'll be more focused on on the warranties and indemnities. You'll be looking at the supply chain. You'll be looking at, for example, um, whether the customers can can get out of paying, whether suppliers can use force majeure to get out of delivering. Um, you'd look at the company in a, in a more robust and slightly different manner through due diligence to make sure that um, what you're paying for is of the value you think it is. So really it, it sounds like just difficult on both sides. It almost sounds like that would cause the market to pause, there to be a lot less transaction in the market at the moment. That's exactly what's happening, but there's always opportunities. Well, so, and, and as, there would and, be good opportunities. And as you come out, the strong will look at the weak or the mediums will look to merge, you know, from a, an M&A point of view. You know, you may, you may say, actually... I've been relying too much out of supplies out of China. I need to buy, I need to buy a supplier or, or enter into a different commercial arrangement with people in Australia or in a different in a different area. So it's going to cause diversification, I would say. Of um, diversification in what? In supply chains, um, and potentially in customers as well. You said, um, oh, you know, when COVID comes back, companies might. You know, are they going to be able to do the same? Is the earnings going to be the same? But, oh, sorry, when COVID's over. But, I mean, is COVID really something that just stops? I mean, I don't see it that way. How do you see it? Do you, what, how long-term of effect do you think it's going to have? Look, it's a good well, question and some companies have been benefiting. Some companies who probably don't want to shout about it um, have been benefiting from from this. Such virus. as? such as, let's say, IT services businesses that have, uh, with all the businesses having a digital transformation working from home, 
look at the Zooms. Um, I've got clients that um, with a B2B liquor company. So they sold to a load of to businesses um, in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, they sold to Woolworths um, over Christmas last year and they pivoted to uh, sell directly to the consumers. And they had the systems in place that meant that they did incredibly well. Now, when the B2B business comes back, they're going to have a diversified <laughs> business. They're going to have the B2B and B2C and they probably would never have done the B2C, the B2C play if... Um, if COVID hasn't come along. Mm. But answering your question, I think it's a confidence play. The COVID's not going to go away um, quickly. So when our buyers and are going to have the confidence that the target companies are going to perform at a level that they're going to pay something that the sellers are happy with. I always do think that if, if I was buying a company, which I'm not, but if I was and I was looking at covers, an example, yeah. I would almost look at, this is a great ex- opportunity to see how competent the company is uh, at handling an emergency and more importantly how competent the, the teams are at, mm. at finding advantages in, in negative times. If I was looking at Cub, you know, I, I would be impressed, but that was because I did it. <laughs> but but it, it, it's almost okay, well, if these guys can do that in this time, and they can find benefits. They've, they've actually improved. Hey, maybe revenue's lower and things like that, yeah. but there's improvements. There's actually benefits. Then you would imagine, okay, this is a long-term, this is a good company long-term to, to invest in. So while maybe I don't want to invest now, I may invest in the future, or maybe I will invest now because they handled it so well and the uh, price is cheaper. Well, absolutely. That's, that's the opportunity cost. But I think you've got to be confident that the business is going to be there. In twelve months' time, what is it? You, know, you want to look at from a financial due diligence point of view. What is the cost base? Mm. There might be opportunities, but you've got to still be around to take advantage of those opportunities mm. and have enough cash to do so. Which comes on to the capital raising part of what companies are doing to shore up their balance sheets. And I think there will be a lot more fundraisings from even companies with strong balance sheets um, or medium. Or what do you mean by fundraisings from companies? As in ra- raise money. So um, raise money just to shore up their business from any future issues to make sure that people do have confidence that they okay. can they can cover costs, they can invest, um, they can stay solvent during the next six to nine to 12 months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, however much working capital you thought you needed four to five months ago, you're going to think you want to have a bit more to be safe going into the next period of time. Year, two years. So um, the the ASX rules for listed companies have um, made it easier for listed companies to raise. They've uh, increased the threshold from 15 to 25% from where you have to get shareholders approval to um, issue shares to um, certain um certain companies without having to offer it as a rights issue. So they're trying to stimulate more purchasing in the... um, To make it easier for companies to raise money, less less red tape. But they have, um, which you mentioned to me, they have made it harder for foreign investment. Mm. So let's say... uh, That's a very good... So I'd forgotten about that. That's a very, very good point. Yeah. And so what does that mean? So let's say a Chinese company wants to come buy 20% of CAB or anything in Australia or... Wait, what was it? Yeah. yeah, it's it's so, so how it works is there's there were different thresholds depending on whether they're trading partners from Australia and different thresholds if you're in sensitive industries such as media or telecommunications. But for the average business, the threshold was I think currently 275 million. So still quite wow. high. It's obviously big companies, um, 
And if you're over that threshold, if you were over that threshold, you needed to get the approval of the Foreign Investment Review Board. If if someone wanted to invest yes. over two hundred and seventy five million into your business, yes, yep. or yeah, or yeah, buy the business or invest okay. into it. Absolutely right. But now, um, at the start of COVID, that two two hundred and seventy five million was reduced to zero, straight so, off. Well, so what does that mean? So if someone wanted to purchase any part of Cub that what then they weren't Australian, if they're getting over twenty percent. Over twenty percent. What what would a company have to do? I, Cub would technically have to go to the foreign review board and for be approval. like approval. And why did they do that? They were trying to protect the assets of Australian businesses while the crisis was going on, to to not to not want foreign businesses or governments to pick off important assets. For example, if the Australian economy plummeted. They don't want China or any other countries coming in, purchasing all our assets and the then G. controlling our, com- our country. That's, that's, that's absolutely right. Now, Man, that's I, pretty scary stuff. I spoke to the Foreign Review Board and, and I think internally they're putting a $10 million limit on because they've got so many applications. Mm. But, you know, there's a lot of foreign <laughs> companies. There are a lot of foreign companies that, that would buy, you know, small businesses here from 2, 5, 10, 15 million. So they're putting an internal limit. They've told me that if it's under 10, they're trying to fast track it through. But if it's over 10, you've got to go through a foot of practice. And, and they used to have to, uh, I think it was come back to you within a few weeks, but now they, they've lengthened that to six months. Wow. And that's put a real, and that will put a real dampener on economic activity. So hopefully that will change or they'll make that a bit more sophisticated moving forward. So you would like to see them... As an M&A law, or as a corporate legal firm, you'd like to see them be less strict on it because then you've got more deal flow. That's right. I mean, obviously, it, it, in one part, it gives me another area to advise on in, yeah. in the FERB application, but I would much prefer more economic activity. And who is the Foreign Review Board? It's government. It, it's, it's just yeah, a government it's, it's body. A, it's, it's a government. Um, it's a government board or government uh, organized board. And what else can you tell us about uh, MNA at the moment? How do you, what effects do you think this is going to have on MNA long term? Look, these things always go in cycles, um, but it will. You need to. It's a bit like you might be more familiar with the residential property market, um, and I think prices seem to be maintaining quite high at the moment, which mm-hmm. which is a surprise. Now, whether the mortgage relief ends in September, that's going to be different. Will, will be interesting, but I think. Um, it's at the moment the price expectations, as I mentioned, between sellers and buyers are out of kilter. Um, people are coming back to business in Australia now, so they want to see what's happening. Your restaurants are opening next week. Money is going to flow around the economy and people are going to look at these businesses that they may have been looking at before saying, do they still have a sustainable business model? Or as you said, have they looked at opportunities? What have their competitors done? Are they now behind their competitors as they haven't been as innovative? And they haven't pivoted as much. Because it is a great time to, if you're in competition, which everyone's in competition, to leave your competition behind. If you can pivot, do something quicker and better and be more present than your competition, now's the time to do it. Yep. You can squish them, get rid of them, if make them look bad. If you've got the energy, time and money to do it. Well, um, I'd say energy is what you need. Mm. Money can be made and everyone has the same amount of time. So if you've got the energy and you're smart enough to do it, then I, uh, I, I've seen many restaurants do things different and there's tons of restaurants. I've seen many um, even digital marketing firms who, in my opinion, are probably the most overpopulated company and uh, type of company in, in the country. Even some digital marketing firms are doing things very different to others during this period, which is giving them a bit of a leg up, I've noticed. 
I think that's right. And how do you see um, employee retention, the, the, the views on um, employees about their jobs? Do you think there's a bit less of an entitlement about people's jobs right now? Are you seeing a change? In- do you mean during this period or in general? I was asking whether you think that people are going to be less blasé about thinking they can just move jobs in the current environment and moving forward. There's obviously been huge job losses and are we seeing more employees be a bit more precious about their job, maybe being a bit less, let's say, fair about it? Or- well, I'm, I'm very happy personally in the sense of the business owner provides t- so much value to the economy and to the employees and and – this has been a horrible situation that has just shown that value. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's shown, hey, look, they take on a lot of risk, these business owners, but look what they provide our country, right? Mm. Seven million people are on JobKeeper or something at the moment. That most of them probably wouldn't be there if JobKeeper mm. wasn't there or let's say half of them. Millions of people would be out of a job yeah. if, 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 if it wasn't for the business owners. So it's, I think that the, the team members who stayed – and the business owners were able to keep them and they, they were able to um, adjust. Yep. And, and I'll use Cub as an exact example. At the start of this, I sat the team down. I said, guys, this is not going to be easy. Right? There's a big problem right now. This isn't a Cub problem. This is a big problem. Yep. Much bigger than Cub. We like to think we're the biggest thing in the world, but we're not. Yeah, you are. And I said, yeah, we are. <laughs> and I said, I said, we've got a big problem. It's a big fucking problem. And I said, we need a goal. And our goal is that we're going to get through this problem. Is it going to be easy? No. But our goal is that we're going to get through it stronger than when we went into it and we're going to get through it all together. And then because we were able to have a goal, we knew what the goal was Mm -hmm. and we emphasised this shit's going to be hard, then everyone's able to make sacrifice. You create a tighter team. Yep. We made sacrifice. We took job. We took. I'm getting paid something like fifty something grand at the moment. My credit card stopped the other day when I was buying a coffee. I had to transfer cash into to my account. Oh, I had no money, right? I took. The, I took obviously the biggest cut to my mm. wage and, and the rest of the team. But they were all between thirty and mine was a ridiculous percent. But mm. I don't even know what percent it was to be honest. But it was. It was. I'm getting paid the lowest is what I wanted. Um. So we all took cuts. Not just we took cuts. No commissions, which at Cubs a big, big thing. We're an entrepreneurial company, so we commissions is a big part of the thing. Not just no commissions, but we worked twice as hard because we needed to survive. So we're currently working, getting paid nothing, getting no commissions. We haven't even got the team together all the time, being able to hug and do everything we do normally and have a laugh. And we're working twice as hard. Right, so in my butt, in my opinion – now you're in. Yeah. You just, you just, you became a business owner. You didn't just fuck around. You didn't have a cry and, oh, and you paid. No, no, no. You just sacrificed. Stepped up. And you know who sacrifices? Business owners. So, as far as I'm concerned, which is actually a great segue into the next thing I want to ask you, is if, if your employees have sacrificed for your company to survive, they deserve some sort of, um, employee incentivize yeah. program scheme or whatever it is, whether it be some equity, stock options, profit shares, coming out of this, these people that made it possible for you to survive deserve that. And that doesn't mean that you couldn't have done it 
because they didn't have an option at the end of the day. If really good ones might have been picked up by some other companies. But maybe it makes you focus on who are your key employees and who do you want to incentivize and, it, and, and it, keep it does. focused in, in your business. It does. And just before we get there, I just want to go back to one more thing on capital raising because um, I advise a lot of companies with venture capital or private equity investment. And a lot of those funds have got cash. So they're sitting there with cash and they've, they've taken on investments to invest in companies. So they've got a choice now, which ones do they invest in? So there is still cash out there for the well, well-planned and well-run companies. And as you know, we completed one last, last week with Woolworths Venture Capital Arm. I saw that was invested. Eucalyptus. Eucalyptus was a company yeah, with a bunch of guys that came out of Kawada Mattresses who are oh, excellent yeah. digital marketers. So, and Blackbird Venture Capital also um, put money in there. That's one of the most well-known VCs in Australia. So yeah. deals are being done now. Mm-hmm. But and tell us about that deal though. Who, who, what did they do? The what do the eucalyptus guys do? Well, they've got um, they're they're brand experts, and they've got two they've got two uh, online platforms. Uh, one is called Pilot, and I think the other is called Kin. Pilot's focusing on men. Uh, they, I think they, they focus on hair loss, mental health, sure. erectile dysfunction. Hey, all the important uh, things all the important, in love. I like all the important things. And um, on the women's, I think they fo- focus on contraceptive pills. But it's basically a new way of buying buying those products uh you know online and, and so you successfully completed a, a capital ra- or a purchase no it was a capital they a capital uh, eight raise. million was invested in the company via Woolworths by Woolworths and Blackbird as a, as a primary two investors and you were you were you guys organized that whole we were acting for the company and doing all the legals incredible for, for the company so that that completed last so week. there are deals happening that's right there is money out there mm. that have already been um, invested in just gotta be smart enough to get it you've got to find it Got to be good enough to get it, and and yeah, and, and just to wrap up the employee retention, I think that this is a great example to show you exactly what you said. Who is your team? Mm. Who have their heart in the game, and they should be rewarded uh, as a business owner, in a sense, for having their heart in the game. Because it, if a business owner could do it without their team, then people would do it without the team. You can't do it without mm. your team. Your team is the everything. So if your team makes it possible for the company to survive and they take sacrifices the same way you're taking sacrifices, they're just as important now as you are. Yep. Which means that they need an incentive scheme. It might not be now because mm. now is not possible. So they're still in it. They're still giving their sacrifice. Right? There's no there's no win without – there's no reward without – Risk. But they're, they're still giving this. They're still sacrificing. But at the when it comes back – and if it works, and if I combine, if it works, and we're, we're now stronger and our market share is going to be bigger and we've learned much, they should have some incentives. But it doesn't stop you setting it up now because you might have KPIs, you might have vesting periods that um, keeps your employee, your key employees incentivized now. So, so what, what, what can we do? What do you suggest? What, what are different ways companies can incentivize their, their employees? Because like we said before, like, like what happened mm. to you, right? You left – your firm to to start your own, right? Perhaps they could have had something else in place to have. Uh, I don't think anything would have been able to keep you. <laughs> but but you, you know what I mean. Absolutely. You want to keep the best. You want to keep the most talented people. Well, what's very common in companies are either share options, so employee share options. So how do they work? That, how they work is that um, if I'm your if I'm your newbie employee, um, and you say you know Paul, I want to I want you to stay here for a while. So I'm going to give I'm going to grant you options that might vest over three or four years. So I don't get the full value of those options until I've stayed for four years. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and if I leave before then, I may lose them all. And if mm -hmm. I stay to the end, I've created some value. So like I say, Paul, I'm going to give you 10% um, of cab, which would be a ridiculously stupid amount. No, you, I would, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't give me that <laughs> much. Advise. I'm good. As my I'm, lawyer, you I'm wouldn't advise me. <laughs> I'm going to give you 1% of cab, um, which is going to vest over five years, which means it which means on, we we're on four. How'd you get up? You're a good negotiator. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've already you've already extended that. You've already extended that for years. That was that was so that so was very it's going to best over six years. Um, on the six year, <laughs> you you will then have access to that one percent. But what does that mean? That means you formally own it. Does it mean what does it mean? That's a good question. You can so, cash it out. You can. Well, it depends on how you want to play that. So generally. There are two ways of looking at it. So there's a US model that says when the, when the options are vested, I should be able to exercise those options the and right become a shareholder. The right to know. The, the option gives me the right to subscribe for shares in your business. So I haven't got the 1% in cup yet. You've just given me an option to be able to subscribe for 1%. And so does that, but okay, how does it work in regards to payment? Well, depending on the value of cup now, mm. you may say to me, well, cup is worth, let's say, $10 million. So I'm going to give you one. I, I want you to have one percent now. I'm going to give you an excise price today of one percent of cub, a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. Um, but the exercise price is going to be a hundred thousand. If at the time you want to exercise, you think it's worth five hundred thousand, or often there might be an exit event that sells cub as a hundred million dollars. Then I'm going to get a million dollars for my one percent. I'm going to pay a hundred thousand. Minus the hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I subscribe for a hundred, and I sell my shares. So they don't have to million. put the capital down, but when it sells, when they when the cash does come, they take that whatever that's it was right. worth. That's the option. Yeah, that's the option to exercise it. Yeah, it's the option to exercise. And so that's obviously the more. Is that something you would encourage? Yeah, I mean, I would. Employees to do more. I would. I would because I think it gives people a feeling that they're on the journey to the equity, and if you're if you are an owner of a business. Mm -hmm then um, it makes you feel that you're on a journey, especially if the aim is to sell at some point. If your aim isn't to sell, then equity might not be as powerful as, valuable. as, as, as it is. And then your choice is when, as a, going back to when the options vest, and the US model is more let them exercise straight away. And you may be able to get a low exercise price, a zero exercise price, but let them vest, then they become a shareholder. Then you've got to look at your shareholders agreement, et cetera, or you might go Which more- Which you did ours. You did yours, or you might go for a more UK Australian version that allow that says actually they vested now that's fine, but you're not going to get your shares and cash out until I do. We're all in this to, if you're there at the end game. So you can choose which, whichever way you want as you draft the plan. And yeah. okay, here's another question. You know that I want to um, give all the uh, core team at staff equity in some way. Some mm. are in different capacities as club owners others are because i'm grateful for what they've done um, and i believe they deserve something yep so let's say an additional five people end up with uh, an amount of equity in cup with some sh share options stock mm -hmm. options does that affect um external investment so when because i know that well you know too that when a lot of people were wanting to buy cup or buy and invest into cup yep. at some point i was coming to you to help me with it all um, they loved that it was just me they had to deal with. Mm. Oh, I only got Daniel, there's only one owner and that's that. Does it then make it like, oh, look, we have actually the six owners. Does it become less attractive? 
Well, it doesn't necessarily need to be owners that, you know, the, the staff can have non-voting shares, so they get the same right to dividends or they get the same right to capital, but they might not they have no say. voting. But actually most investors, most VC firms, most private equity firms, in fact, all of them, they want to see share incentive plans because it's, it's a complete understood accepted mantra that companies run better if their employees are incentivized. Is that right? Yeah. So, so, so a VC will come in. And they would assume that you've already Done issued that. 10 to 15% to your staff. So, they're at, so they won't get diluted for that amount. They're going to say, you might have 85% shares now. We're not going to invest based on that 85. We're going to assume you've already issued another 15. And then we're going to issue on that. So on that, is that um, what they're expect, doing? Yeah, that, so they're expecting exa- that to happen at the moment. And, and w- All the time, yeah, wh- that's been for, for a while. Not just, that's not just for now. And... As a business owner, you shouldn't be looking at it as a percentage of the company. You should be looking at it more of the value of the shares. So you would say to, the, to your um, team member, I'm actually issuing you currently, it's worth around 50 grand. Mm. But if we hit our targets in five years' time, it's going to be worth about a million bucks. You get, and that's how you should be selling it. That's right, because you would then... So not as a percentage, as a value, because as a percentage it might sound like small, but as a value it's a lot of money for someone. Correct. And then, and then they, get to con- they get to enjoy the value that they have helped to contribute to, and that's the way you should look at it. We're up here now. You help us get to there. Your, your, your pot will grow. That's what I want. And what about my idea that I brought to you about my little inner circle of trust idea where if you've been with a company for long enough, you enter this little inner circle of trust and that inner circle of trust uh, has a percentage of the profits. So not equity. That circle of trust shares a percentage of profits of the company. Is that a thing? Can it is a that? thing, absolutely. It's not always the most tax-efficient way of doing it. Oh, is that a problem? Because it's like a bonus. So you get so you pay, get paid pay, PAYG okay. on that. So it's an income. It's an income okay. payment. But look, it's good. But I think it's not, I don't think it's as good as ownership. It's easy, it's less of a risk for you, but it depends if people are, it depends how people are motivated. Mm-hmm. If people are purely motivated by profit and they understand that you're not going to be selling this business, then that might be absolutely fine. But for most people, there is a difference between a profit share and an equity share and an equity interest. And you would give the equity interest to your either longer term people, long, longer term people. Or exec team, is that, That's is that right. who you'd look at? And you'll make sure you can buy it back if they leave and, and everything else. So you can well, research. T- tell us about that then. Well, so let's say I give uh, you 1% and you want to leave. What happens? Well, it depends if the, my options are unvested or vested. And often... If six heard, years vested, which is... Six years. I thought it was eight. Seven. Uh, seven. Um, if I've met my sort of time period KPIs or other KPIs you said, then then... They're vested, and if I'm still on that journey, they're unvested. And I may have part unvested, part vested. And then you've got a concept of good lever and bad lever. Stop. Just, just Let's just go to the vested thing, just to make sure all the listeners understand. I'm sure yes. most members would, but there will be a lot of list- listeners who don't. Vested, vested means um, that you only gain access to, to a certain percent of your shares over the given period. So if you have 1% over four years, it might be a quarter of a percent you gain 
ownership or you gain yeah. access to each year. So by yeah. the end of the four years, you have the 1%. You have them vested and we'll come on to that. And often yes. often there's a cliff just to make it a bit more complicated as I can't help myself. So you might have a one-year cliff. So you've got to get to the one year before you earn my quarter mm-hmm. and then it might be monthly or quarterly for the remainder of the three years. Okay. So let's say after two years, I've been there two years and I decide that I actually want to leave. Screw you. I'm going to your competitor and I'm taking some of your confidential information, your secrets. Yeah. You're not going to really want to pay me anything for my shares. Probably my whack you. Yeah, you <laughs> probably would. So in that sense, the unvested, the unvested options will lapse, mm-hmm. and the vested options will lapse. As I am a bad lever, I haven't, I haven't behaved very well. So if someone doesn't behave, you can say fuck you. I don't. Everything that was here, I don't doesn't doesn't count anymore. If You're it bad comes lever. within the definition of bad lever, yes. But you could choose your own definition, huh? Yeah. Now, if you want to fire me after two years because you don't like the colour of my green eyes, That's then right. it's a bit unfair that I don't get any yeah. value for my vested elements. But if someone's done something dirty, you can say nah. See yeah. you later. Yeah. Okay. And and you can also have it so that the vesting period is zero then a hundred. For example, in five years you get one percent. But before that five years is up, yeah, it doesn't count. You've got to be here five years before you get that 1%. Well, normally they would go over a period of time. But why? Why couldn't you do it five because, years, then 1% in five Because years? it gets a bit harsh if you say goodbye to me after four and a half years and I haven't, uh, and I haven't earned anything yet. Okay. So it's to keep me incentivized for the journey. If you, make, if you put the carrot too far down the road, it's, it's too not far. a carrot. It's not yeah. a carrot anymore. I can't see it anymore. I need binoculars. Yeah, so earning it incrementally generally incentivizes people more. Okay, so you've got the options. What are the what are the how, how what are other ways you can incentivize? You did mention that uh, profit share is while a good way, it may not be the best way uh, because of taxes, because it is considered a, a uh, yeah, wage it, and it, it it would be an income payment. An income payment. Um, which means they it, pay higher taxes on it and you pay your and, um, PAYG. Yeah, and it's not um, it's not ownership. People feel prouder if they are an owner, you know, they feel they're, mm-hmm. they're a shareholder of a business. Mm-hmm. So the other way to do it is you can give people shares up front and say, I'm going to buy them back if you don't behave. So, so, so employee share, that's an employee share scheme as opposed to employee share option scheme. It's called a share scheme. And so how will that work? Well, generally, let's go back to where I'm getting $100,000 worth of shares. You would generally... Because I would, if you give me $100,000 of free shares, I have to pay $100,000 worth of tax in that tax year because the HO will tax me on that value. So, you, so often they're loan-funded schemes. So you would lend me, it's a paper loan, $100,000, and I would give that back to you as a subscription price for the shares. So I've got to pay that $100,000 back. So I bought your shares for you? Pretty much. The company's bought the shares for me. But – and in our example, if your cup goes up to 100 million, which it will, um, that's then, a bit of an insult. I was going more for it. Well, just in the next six months, just in the next six months, <laughs> then um, then I obviously would need to pay that money to you to the company before I get the purchase price. You would shares. have to give it to me, yeah. Because it's but a, if I don't want to take it off you, do I have to take it? I'd be like, nah, I'm going to keep it. Well, you could probably write off the loan, but there's probably some tax. Um, adverse consequences for that but generally if i'm getting uh, a million bucks the company okay so you do so you do you do recommend the uh, share options for the for key staff and and especially i I feel like we came to the conclusion that especially uh, team members that helped a business survive the crisis and uh, sacrificed particularly sacrificed Mm. um, while delivering probably even more value than normal they definitely should be receiving some sort of 
um, uh, employee incentive uh, because they have also sacrificed like the business owner. And the other thing, I think that's right. And look, some employee incentive is seen as a sweetener on top of their package. For certain early stage companies, they're seen as a bit of an alternative. To wage. To wage. You may yeah. say, okay, you know, you should be on 150,000 package, but I can only afford to pay you 90 now. I'm going to give, give you, you 60,000. Yeah, I'll give you $60,000 worth of share options or 2% of the company as an alternative. A lot of the tech companies in the US do that. To get the best developers, they say, I'll give you, I'll give you Absolutely. 2% and you come on. So you can use it as a startup. That's a tool to get also some yeah. of the best talent that you wouldn't otherwise be able to. Because they can see they're going to share for. in the value upside. Brilliant. Brilliant. What else do you want to talk about? Do I send you an invoice for this or is this No, just, no, this, this is, is completely like free. <laughs> <laughs> Can't afford any more invoices. <laughs> but um, uh, what else do you want to talk about? Um, I want if, your knowledge. Well, what about returning to work? What's your view on Australia getting back into the office and how do we do that in a COVID-safe manner on public transport? Well, I think everyone should just get the fucking cut public transport and get to work in the first place. Don't worry about COVID. It's there. It's not going to go anywhere. The government can't keep paying for you or we're all fucked and your employee is not going to pay for you because other people are going to come to work and do a better job. So get to work would be my first thing. If you have to wear gloves, a mask and like one of the um, science capes, with the full white, whatever, just get to work. That's my first thing. Um, the second thing I would say is one thing that I've noticed is that whenever there's, and we've noticed it with Cub Sales, so whenever there's an announce, whenever there's a change, there is a delay. So, um, for example, I'll use this month. Um, the first two weeks of this month for us were bad sales. The first week was a bad sale because we knew that the announcement was coming up on the Friday as to the changing of the restrictions. Yeah. So it, all the business owners, including myself, got scared because – you start thinking of new things. Oh, no, we have to bring our clubhouse costs back. We need to do – and so suddenly you, you, you're worried about what's going to be announced and you're worried about the business. So we had slow – So the, the first week I, I think we got one member. Do you remember, Laura? I think it was one member, which shit. Then the second week was shit too because um, uh, while it was announced, everyone was then panicked, then they go to planning, and then mm. by the third week they start executing. Third week – we got some, I think the second week we got four members. Third, last week we had a ridiculous eight to ten members or something join. Right? And that's mm. because they've planned. The and, and the reason I say this is, A, as a business owner, you should be aware that when there's change, there's an inertia period that's going to affect your sales. Yeah. Right? But also as a business owner, when there's change, your team's productivity will drop. There is also an inertia period that your team's going to drop the productivity. So you should be easing back into the office. So for example, this week at Cub, we're actually working from the clubhouse because we want to get everyone back used to going to work, getting there, sitting where they like to sit again. And how excited were your, were your They're all there to see each other for the first time? Oh, how, no, we've been hanging out. We've been hanging out. <laughs> we've been hanging out. Yeah, but, but no, no, they're excited to be there again. Yeah. They're so excited, so excited. They're the same with my team. Yeah, they, they want to be together. Why would I want to be on a team that I don't see? It doesn't make any sense. It's like being with a family that I don't talk to. Like, okay, there's families that do that, but there's not the one that I want to be. Well, but that answers your question. If you're working in a dysfunctional environment, a dysfunctional team, you probably want to be working from home. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. It's probably better for those people, for the healthy, happy teams exactly. coming to work. <laughs> Absolutely. So that would be my thing. 
ease into it? What, what are you guys doing? Well, we're starting to come back to work. And I think I mentioned we're giving, um, we're, we're acknowledging that public transport's tricky. The government is saying if you haven't been going on public transport, don't go on during peak hours, which sounds ridiculous to me because how can you say get back into work but actually don't use public transport to get back into work? Yeah. So it's been a tough decision. I don't think they've dealt with it superbly. Mm. So we're, we're taking that out, as I said, by getting, allowing people to drive in and subsidising their parking. But, but I, we, I love that but, idea. But, but we want people to get back in the office. And our, our feedback is people want to get back into the office. Mm. People, I think it was a bit of a novelty working from home and it proved that you can do it from time to time and mm. maybe there's some argument to do it a bit more flexibly. But, but for our business, it just doesn't run as efficiently. And there was... Um, and it's not as good for them. Uh, there, there was a managing partner of a mid-sized law firm, um, I think it was Ian Robertson at Holding Redlick, that was quoted in the AFR today or yesterday, saying that, saying you know, almost unashamedly, which is what a lot of business owners are thinking, to say we want people back in the office. We want the business doesn't run as efficiently remotely. Mm. Yes, you can do it. It's an alternative, but it's a poorer substitute. So our office is set up well. And we want people back in. And he was saying that the bigger firms are probably um, saying that they're being a bit more relaxed about it and not pressurising staff because their offices are open plan and they've probably got hot desking and they're not set up for COVID. COVID they, they, can't, they can't come back in. So a lot of these business structure, office structures actually don't work for, the, for this current crisis. And a lot of the older style, more spread out, you know, own offices – is better. Um, is better. That's an interesting thought. So the office could go back to the more traditional offices rather than potentially open plan. That's a really. But interesting I think there's been a bit of a backlash between open plan. You know, the whole point was to make people more collaborative, but the people is people don't want to disturb people, so they're texting or emailing people sitting two meters away from each other. So I, I'm. I'm. I don't believe open plan is more productive, but it's cheaper for the big organisations. Yes, that's why. why. And as we know. <laughs> I also have a big issue with big business making small business look bad. They are far more impersonal and make decisions well more based on numbers rather than their um, rather than the benefit of the people themselves, the benefit of their team. Now, I'm not talking about all big businesses, but there are some big businesses that do that. And it almost ripples down to the small business because they make it trendy to, oh, no, oh, oh, work from home, that's fine. What we'll do is we'll get rid of the office so we don't have to pay um, the $30 million a year we have to pay for the rent. That's a great idea. We'll get rid of it. We Maybe we'll tip $5 million for rent because if you do want to come in, you can still come in, right? We might have a little space. But we will save ourselves um, $25 million. And what we also will do is we'll pay for you to have maybe we'll buy you a desk for home or something like that because that way you're always at work. And because you're always at work, maybe I'll call you at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. You're at work anyway. If I call you, you know, you're always at work. So then it's going to blur the, the thing. Also, imagine the lower cost of workplace issues. Well, there's very little discrimination, you know, whatever. There's very little issues in the workplace. There's very little um, conflicts by discrimination, you know, just – all these little conflicts that come up at big companies, not small companies because they're normally more tight and in, but at big companies you have all these big issues. Suddenly we don't have them because you can't – that can't happen. You're not even together. But then the culture dies. 
then yes, the business environment become, dies. But perhaps the big company doesn't even have a culture anyway. They don't care about it. They already have funds. All they're doing is circulating wealth. But I think the whole marketing play of these big companies is come and work for us and we've got the Friday night drinks and we've got the social activities. Think? And I think as a lot of in professional services, there's a lot of that social aspect for uh, – younger younger professionals it's to be part of, of that fun. bigger till you know part of that that institution is all the add-ons they have they've got the marketing departments the catering departments the internal gyms yeah. they've got the uh all internal the dry cleaners to make you stay stay late they've got the nap pods when you've done all nighters and and all of that so that's yeah, it's, it's convenient to say right now i work from home's nice but i agree with that article i mentioned i think the big big organization doing that because they don't know how to bring their staff back. I think if they could, you'd be seeing a very different reaction from those big organisations. Yeah, but you're saying that because you don't believe they can make the workplace safe because it's open plan. I'm saying the same thing. However, I'm saying it because I reckon they want to get rid of the offices. I don't think they want to keep the offices. I think it's very difficult to – it depends what business. I think it really depends what business. If you need to collaborate and – control which bigger organiza- bigger organizations sometimes need it's much harder how do you business develop that's why it's you know it's such a big sell for cup right now how do people business develop you know the chamber of commerce events aren't going on right now but you might be able to have a cup event where you're sitting 1.5 meters away or social distancing around a table having a core event i think it's a big sales pitch for you guys to be able to get people in a room um and start to business develop over and above other, you know, going to a bar, which you won't be able to do for a while. I think there's a big sales point for, I think people need to come back and network a cup because there's so many. So, so how, how long so have you been for, a member for? I'm looking for some of your share options right now. Okay. I've been a member for. Three to four three, years. Yeah, three long time. years. And so you have experienced all the cubs that they've been because cub has evolved, right? Yeah. It's gone from. A baby to um, what it is today, and what it is today is is a digital networking company at the moment. Not that that's what we want it to be, because I'm a big believer in that. You need to touch someone and know their smile, and, and you need to see their eyes in, in order to connect. But but we are digital, and I mean, first and foremost, what what, what have you enjoyed about? And just on the topic of community, being around people. What value has Cub brought you? I think it's um, brought me things on a number of of levels. It's meeting other business owners, yours included, getting getting to understand how how you guys operate, um, and seeing how you've evolved, which has been incredible to see, and how you've matured as a business leader and owner has been incredible. Drinking on a Monday is not helping. <laughs> that was my idea. Yeah. I think <laughs> um, the. Um, but also from a community point of view, you know, you work hard and you want to make sure that your time when you're not in the office, you know, earning money for yourself and your partners and your business is spent doing something not only you enjoy, but something you get value from. It's also right? beneficial for the business. Absolutely. It's beneficial for the business because you're making business contacts mm-hmm. and you're enjoying doing it. You're enjoying making business contacts. And how has the digital aspect of it been? Well, I think it's been, you know, we've done the core events over the last few weeks and, and some other events, I think it's been a good temporary substitute, mm-hmm. as you said. I mm-hmm. think it's been good because I know some of the people on them and it's still been useful 
is it as effective as being in a room and reacting, as you say, reading someone's body language? Can't. It's no way. It, it, it's not as effective, but I think it's been as good as you could have done it in mm. the circumstances you kept going. You're still making and meeting people, hearing their stories, reacting to, to what they're saying, sharing how are we bringing people back into the office? Are we being too politically correct in being too safe? Are we being too unpartically incorrect and not safe enough? How do you balance between what is safe for your staff and safe for your business? Mm. And really they should be one and the same, but, you know, we're business owners, we're human beings, you know, in a smaller organisation we care about, we know each member of staff and we care about them. So you you want to you want to make the right decision, and that's in your interest long term as well. Is that engenders loyalty? But with the in regards to pivoting, right? I'm full agreement with you, and we've had the conversation before. Is Cub better digital than it is in person? Fuck no, of course not. No, no, because I'm when we're in person, I can build a relationship with you. Now there have been some points where it's better digitally. For example, I think the the conversations digitally where you're there to learn from another member, I think they're better. Because you're not there to connect with others, you're there to mm. learn. And it's easy to attend and it's quicker. So I think they've been better. I also think that digital is fine um, with someone you know. So if you're speaking to someone you already know, it's a great way to connect. But you're not able to build, it's not as good. But my point I'm going to is we acted fast and we acted strong. I still think though, even with a cup conversations, it's that walking in 10 minutes earlier. Mm-hmm. It's connecting to Chatting. Laura I haven't seen for a while or seeing you or Ant around and having a chat 10 minutes beforehand with the members of the group or for 10 minutes afterwards. Yeah. Those, are the, those, those are the little bits. It touching, you know, meeting someone for a second, third, fourth time, mm-hmm. it's important. And, and that's what people are missing at the uh, moment from their offices, from their from their everything. And I think digitally you can see some people, you know, when you're in a in a room with someone, you're not on your phone playing Candy Crush or whatever you're doing mm-hmm. during. Sometimes you can see people have turned off. Their eyes are down and who knows what they're doing on their mm. phone. So I think people are losing interest more on the digital digital side of things. The point I was trying to make though was that while some businesses may not be able to serve how they orig- as good mm. or how they originally were, they still showed very strong character Yes, in the way that they handled the crisis and therefore were seen as um, – or, or were able to gain more respect from uh, clients and, and non-clients because they didn't fold. They didn't say, nah, this is too hard, I'm out, they said. Yeah. And and that can be a long-term gain for a business because the brand is stronger, uh, people's trust and um, confidence in the in the in the leadership mm. and the team is stronger you did you did move quickly and you move effectively and how and, and it was seamless and, and, that, and, and, and that was a, a so i want i want so you know all businesses if, if they've pivoted and adjusted okay it might not be as good as what you're doing before mm. but people are still impressed that you're doing it you're giving it a shot mm. and that's all you can do you can give it your best yeah shot. absolutely you can give it your best but shot. i think it makes people realize the value that you bring yeah. You know, I think people will miss it. And I think there is a, I think there is an angle for Cup because there are other business networking activities that you can't do. So mm-hmm. for Cub, you can do it more easily from um, whether it's semi-digitally or fully digitally right now, mm. moving back to slowly sort of COVID safe networking. There's no yeah. reason why, you know, restaurants next week can have 50 people. Well, think about it. You know, why can't Cub have 10 tables of 10 in yeah. a 
in a spaced out manner. But think about that. Like restaurant on the, on the top, like restaurants. How much are you going to appreciate your restaurant when they come back? Do you know what I mean? It's you're going to be. But so, how long is that going to last? Oh, a month. Appreciate. A month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, life is it's fickle. It's, it, Have you ever had a, an injury where you've gone to the physio and you're going, "I'm going to exercise every day. I'm never going to feel like this." No, because I'm and young and healthy. Hey, thank you very much. Maybe <laughs> feel bad now. And then you get better. You get better, and then you never do the exercise again. So I'm worried. I think people would appreciate it, and it will yeah. last for a bit. But I think people will. I think things will go back to normal a lot quicker. I'll ask you a big question. Okay. What are the positives that have happened to you personally and professionally and to Deutsche Miller because of COVID? Because of COVID. So I would say, personally, I've enjoyed working from home for a period. I spent more. I've I've learned that I can work from home. And I think I might try and bring that in in a sort of flexible, sort of temporary manner. So to be more present for the family? To be more or? present. So maybe if I've got a five o'clock call, I'll leave at four and take the call at home because I'm more set up now. The The, the remote system works much better. Um, I've got my laptop with my additional screen. I've got the office set up. But everyone's transformed. Uh, they've had to transform. So whereas I could have done that, um, everyone's been forced to do it. So I know that I can do that a lot more. Um, so you have become more productive at home when, yes, than before? Yes, as a, as a comparison, yes, absolutely. And I, and I know that I can do it if I need to do it. So I'd be interested to see if I, I would like to try and make it a little bit more flexible and see whether that works for, for the other staff as well. Um, it's made me respect the staff members that have stepped up. I think... Um, do you want to give any of them a shout out right now? <laughs> well, no, all of, them, you forget all, all of them have stepped up. <laughs> no, people on my team have stepped up. They've stepped up and and they've done what they can. They've they've worked from home and people can sort of slouch off, but I don't think anyone in my team has done that. So it's made me respect them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've sort of kept together, you know, with the Zoom calls and, you know, with the jokes and everything else. You, you, we sort of tried to keep connected. Um, so I think that's been important. And I've got to say, going back into the office and seeing people, which we started to do, started to do last week and this week, actually makes you realise how much you like your team members. I'm not saying I disliked you all, but... Uh, <laughs> now I know I genuinely do like that, you. <laughs> that, um, and I made that joke this morning when I was in there, that uh, um, you realise that it's important to be in a team environment and a positive one. So hopefully I think our whole team would appreciate that environment. Mm. And I think... Um, I think the ones with the positive environments will really stand out now to the negative. And I think there's a chance to pick up good talent now also. So you've, you've become, you've found the newfound ability to work productively from home when needed. Mm-hmm. You personally have um, a, a new a, or a greater amount of respect for your team, for their dedication during this period. So yep. you're more grateful for them. Plus, you believe your team is more grateful for each other, mm. having noticed the happiness that it's brought you each coming together. Yeah, coming and back. It's brilliant. And because um, we do have to wrap up now, what's one last thought, lesson, or anything that you'd like to share with the listeners that you'd like, um, uh, that you think is is important? Um, I mean, I've been, I've been on a journey as a business owner and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I haven't always enjoyed the really tough times that you go through. But um, I enjoy 
having a very positive and collegiate culture. And I, I would say to any business leader, you don't have to be unreasonable. You don't have to be an asshole to be a good leader. You don't need to be an asshole to get sustained performance from your staff. I would say develop a relationship, develop loyalty, so they don't want to let you down or the team down or the standards of the team down. And as a, as a business leader and just as a human being, I think that's the way everyone should behave. They should treat everyone in their organisation how they would like to be treated and work to a high standard and it should be as easy as that. Mr Miller, thank you so much for coming on today. And to any of the listeners who'd like to reach out um, to Paul, um, and or get in contact with Deutsch Miller, please reach out to us. As uh, I said, we use them at Cub personally. Paul is a great friend of mine, a long-term member, and I have the the highest of confidences that they would be uh, the right team for you to use um, in, in any situation with M&A or, or any corporate law. Thank you to all for tuning in and thank you, sir, for coming on board.